0: Good morning. It's great to see you here this second Advent Sunday of December. I want to begin by reading to you some scripture from Matthew chapter 22. The question was asked of our Lord Jesus Christ, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love is a very important aspect of our Christian faith. And this second week of Advent, we've lit the love candle and we're focusing on this topic this morning. Perhaps the strongest way that love is shown is just to be present, to be available, to show up, to be part of someone's life. In the story of Jesus' birth, we see that this is what Joseph, Mary's husband, did. He was a quiet individual, yet he was always present, always there. Where some would consider running away, he stayed faithful, he showed up, and he was uh, near and supportive of Mary and the Lord Jesus Christ. And through this persistent faithfulness, Joseph's presence speaks a powerful message to us today on what love looks like. Love is being available, it's being present, it's making yourself accessible. That's precisely what God did when he sent Christ to us. He became accessible and present. He became incarnate, up close God to us. He just simply showed us love by showing up. So let me ask you this question this morning, get you thinking with me. If you really want to show someone that you love them, how would you do it? How would you do it? Recently, well, not so recently, actually a while back, uh, a fellow named Chapman wrote a book called Five Love Languages. And he talked about how people naturally lead with a certain love language that's kind of part of their wiring. And so depending on who you are, you might really enjoy quality time with another person or encouraging words or acts of service, or giving, or perhaps physical closeness and touchness. So Chapman kind of gave us some language to how we tend to naturally express love. But I want to I really keep this super simple this morning. Sometimes love is just simply being available. I remember when I worked at 3M years ago in the Knoxville plant in uh, Iowa. We were super busy just really busy all the time there, uh, and I was in the engineering department, and I, some of the fellow uh, workers that I worked with would often say to me, uh, I, I'm learning to spend quality time with my family instead of quantity time. That was a nice way of saying, I'm so overwhelmed and so busy, I don't have a lot of time to spend with my family, so, uh, but they get quality time. And I, 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 it's a little bit of a lame excuse, I'm going to be honest with you. Because I tell you what, I understand quality versus quantity, and there's some merit to that discussion. You, 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 you know, there's quality time, and then there's just, you're there, but you're not present. And what I want to, want to encourage you this morning is this. Consider this. Sometimes the best way that we show love to someone is just to be present. To give them space in their lives. To be involved in their lives. To not be in such a hurry that there are project or tasks to accomplished, but rather there's this opportunity for some just organic interaction uh, to transpire. It's about living together with enough flexibility and space built in to truly have some deeper relationship kind of stuff happening. I think in the busyness of our culture. We run to and fro. We do activities. We do tasks. We do accomplishments. We go to school concerts. We go to school events. We go do this right. We go to Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. We I don't know what it is. Lego League, whatever it is, right? Those things are all really good. But I tell you what, this second week of Advent focuses on love as being present, as being involved. That's how Jesus demonstrated to uh, it to us. So let me read to you now from. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Listen to what the scripture says. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, this is a reference to John the Baptist, testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relation with the Father has made him Known, Now, I mentioned this last week. The first three Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, begin with the humanity of Jesus, Jesus in the cradle, so to speak, whereas the Gospel of John, which I read to you this morning, begins with the divine origin of Jesus, his place in the Godhead. And God, uh, uh, John so desperately wants us To connect with this living God who became one of us. He wants us to know and he wants us to recognize who Jesus is and where he has come from. And here's really a sad thing. So many say, well, if there is a God, where is he? Why isn't he involved? Why doesn't he do something? Have you ever heard that? Why do all these disasters happen and there's no God? Why do all these bad things go on and there's no God? Where is he? And I simply say, you have missed something that's very profound and powerful. God came right smack dab into the middle of humanity and showed up. He did the very thing you're asking for. You're just choosing not to believe it. He showed up and he became one of us. That demonstrates how much he loves us and he cares for us simply by making himself present in our midst. So our big thought today is this. God showed his great love by becoming present in his creation. And I love the picture that's being painted by this phrase, he made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling means he pitched his tent among us and he lived temporarily with us. This last Thanksgiving, uh, Vicky and myself and Lydia traveled to Cedar Falls to visit some of my other kids. Several of them live in Cedar Falls, and then Liz came over from Nebraska. Why? Well, I, I happened to go into um, my son's Nate's living room at one point during the day, and the younger grandchildren, there's a gaggle full of them, there's a lot of them running around, had decided to make a tent in, in the living room. And what they did was, they put a whole bunch of chairs together. If you have little kids, they do this, right? They put about They had about eight chairs. I don't know where they got them all from. And they had about five blankets. And they had this massively huge tent going on in that living room. And I crawled in there and visited with cars. Of course, she could stand and look at me in the eyeballs while I'm on my hands and knees. And we talked about how cool the tent was and all that kind of stuff. And I was reminded of this idea, this fact that when Jesus came, he came and he pitched his tent in the midst of humanity. He made his dwelling among us. He understands who we are. He became one of us. He can say, I relate to you because I've experienced that. It's more than just some acknowledgement of who we are. He knows us because he became who we are. Amen? And he understands us intimately. And he understands what you and I go through because he has pitched his tent among us. So here's a question I have for you to consider this morning. How can you then... Show God your love by being present. Because evidently, this is very important to our God. So important that He became present among us to demonstrate His love to us. So then we need to ask the question God, how do you want me to be present by, you know, in, in that way, showing you uh, that I love you? Somewhere in the answer to that question is the word time. We have to give God our time. That's why a, a morning like this is so valuable, is we could just. Drop all the distractions, take a breath, come here, and for one hour, give God what? Our undivided attention. Amen? And that's a demonstration of our love for him, to give him our attention. Throughout the week, you need to do that also. You need to take moments out of your busy schedules, take a breath, and just say, God, man, I love you. Maybe read the word a little bit, meditate on what it means, pray, pray for something, but just connect with God and give him your undivided attention. Uh, and this is the way that we show that we love one another also, by being present and giving each other time. I remember years ago in a marriage uh, class that we took, they were talking about being present when you're with your uh, marriage partner, right? And they, they gave this example of this Man, of course, the man was the villain. And They're sitting down to have breakfast. By the way, that was a little humor, but you all didn't get it. Um, the man, they were sitting down, they eating some breakfast, right? And, I, and the guy goes, boom, pops up his newspaper and begins to read. And she's left to eat her breakfast all alone. And this was horrific and bad and not very sensitive. And then I begin to pay attention when we go out to eat. Every now and then, which Vicky and I do about, you know, twice a year because we're really extravagant. Um, But I noticed frequently at that time that you'd go to a restaurant, especially if it was around breakfast time, and usually the gentlemen would be, what? They don't do this anymore, but they used to be reading their newspaper, and their wives are sitting over there, I thought they might as well be eating by themselves. So, as bad as that all is, something more challenging is upon us. Right? You know what I'm going to talk about now, don't you? Women, you've joined the fray. These babies go out and watch people when they're eating out. Half of them are doing this while the person sitting across from them is eating. They might as well be eating by themselves. Whatever that's happening here is more important than that person that's two feet in front of their face. And they're doing this constantly. And sometimes I just want to go, stop stop it. Be with the one you're with. Why, why, what's so important on the phone at this moment that you can't talk with the person two feet in front of you? And, and to me, a demonstration of love is that we're fully present, and we're looking at that person and communicating with them when we have some of those opportunities. Now, I'm going to admit, I, I've gotten older, I've run out of words. Sometimes I'm eating with Vicki, I just don't have anything to say. I said, what are you thinking? Nothing. You know, I mean, there's nothing there. It's gone. The wells run dry. So (laughs) she'll attest to that. I'm kind of quiet sometimes. I'm sorry. Some of you men, you're like me. The waters don't run all that deep. They just are pretty much, it's a dry pond. So that's not what I'm talking about, you know. But I mean, try to be present. I know for some of us gentlemen, you're going to have to dig deep. Amen. It's going to be hard, but you can do it. But just be present. That's one of the ways that we show love one to another. I want to spend the rest of the morning talking about several ways that we can respond to God who loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to dwell among us. First of all, recognize Jesus and what he's done. Recognize Jesus and what he's done. I have a question to kind of get us thinking along this first Responding point. How do you feel when you're not recognized or given credit for something that you have done? How does that make you feel? I have a story. Maybe this will get you thinking. When I first began to work at 3M, I ended up down in Knoxville, Iowa, at a plant down there, and I remember doing a project on one of the big making machines there. And it really improved the productivity, and it was a a, a well-done project. And I had a little bit of design help from a guy out of St. Paul. Now, I worked in Knoxville, but I worked for uh, St. Paul. So my ultimate boss was there, and this designer had come down and helped a little bit with a little piece of the project, okay? Well, he had gone back to the boss up there and said he had done the whole thing. I didn't know that until my boss was down visiting me and said, oh, I wanted to see the project so-and-so had done. I said, what? Yeah, and I remember how unsettling I felt, or how unsettled I felt. I'm saying that kindly. I was kind of angry that this guy who had the boss's ear had taken credit for something that I had really done. And I remember talking through with another one who was very godly, and he said, You know, your work is under the Lord. Give the Lord credit anyway. Amen? I said, Amen. Boy, it's hard right now because this guy clearly. what's what's deceiving, and it's it's unsettling. How does it make you feel when you have an experience like that? Jesus comes to his own, to a world that he's created, and yet the majority at the time of his arrival didn't recognize him. In fact, they rejected him, and they still do that today. Jesus came to his own, incarnate God, God up close in flesh, and most said, fui on you," and they didn't recognize him. And not only that, coming to his own is really a phrase that means he came to his homecoming, at his own homecoming. He's not recognized; rather, he's rejected. Think about the problems that has cost humanity: the the rejection. And the lack of recognition of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about all the poor life decisions that are being made because of simply not knowing what's up. All the bad decisions that are having so many consequences because Jesus has been rejected and not recognized. Do you know somebody right now in your life? You have an associate, a friend, a family member. Who you know is in a state of rejection of Jesus right now, has not recognized Jesus right now. I want to encourage you pray that the scales would be removed from their eyes. Pray that their heart to stone would turn to heart to flesh. Pray that God would show up in their lives and do some things to waken up their soul. Amen? Pray for them because in that state, destruction and bad decisions lie ahead. So I want to encourage you today, if you know someone in that condition, to pray for them. Now, here's where I want to take this uh, to those of us who love Jesus. How often do we who know Jesus not recognize what he's up to in our lives? How often is God trying to do a transformative moment, maybe bringing us to an aha moment, maybe deepening our understanding of who we are and who he is, and we just blow right through the moment? because we're busy, we're distracted, maybe we don't want to be inconvenienced, we're, we're just t- too much in a hurry to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us about what's going on. I want to encourage everyone here today, pray, pray that your eyes would be open to what God's doing in your life. Pray that your heart would have a spiritual awareness and a sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit is making known to you. Slow down a bit and hear what God is up to in your lives. Recognize Jesus. Understand what he's up to. Responding to God who loves us so much and came to dwell with us means that we will receive and believe in Jesus and his ways. Now, a couple of chapters down the road from what we read this morning in John, Jesus meets up with one of the leading teachers uh, in Israel, his name was Nicodemus, and Nicodemus came to Jesus that night under the cover of darkness. And I think possibly because he was a leader in Israel at the time, he, he didn't want people to know that he was interested in Jesus because Jesus, you know, was being uh, received with kind of a, a mixed kind of attitude. And so he shows up in the cover of darkness because he's enamored with what's going on with Jesus. And he says, "Teacher, you know, no one could do what you're you're doing unless you're uh, uh, truly from God." and No one could perform these kind of miracles unless you're not from God. And so what Nicodemus was saying was you're some kind of a teacher, teacher, good teacher, you know. And Jesus wouldn't let him use that label. He wouldn't let Nicodemus stop with that label, good teacher. He said this to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one will see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. (laughs) And Nicodemus is just puzzled by this. In fact, I would say it this way, it blew a fuse in his mind. He just couldn't wrap his mind around what Jesus just said. He said, what am I supposed to do here? Go back in my mother's womb and be born again? How can I do that? And he hears this from Jesus. This is a bit sarcastic. And you're a teacher of Israel? He's saying, come on, Nicodemus a well, duh, you should get this. And basically goes on to explain, to be born again, you have to receive and believe in me. And then you're born again spiritually. And being born again like this is just the beginning of the journey God wants to take you and I on. This receiving and believing is to characterize us as followers of God. We are continually supposed to receive and believe from Jesus, receive and believe from Jesus, receive and believe from Jesus. It's not a one done thing and you're out of there. It is a lifestyle that you step into, receiving and believing, receiving and believing. And I tell you what, I've learned this in my own life i don't think i had the capacity when i first became a believer to understand some of the things that are now going on in my life i think as you walk closely with the lord jesus christ he expands your understanding and your ability to know what in the world god is doing amen when i first became christian shoot i didn't know anything And so this receiving and believing is to be a continual interaction that goes on with Christ until we die. So how do we respond to a God who loves us so much he came into our neighborhood? This is point three. Remember the uniqueness of Jesus. Always, always remember the uniqueness of Jesus. He is the one and only, meaning he's one of a kind. There is no one like him. Here's the thing that we have to battle with today, I think more than ever almost. When it comes to religions, there's a saying that's out there that all religions are right and they all lead to the same place So why you're having all this fighting. Yikes, right? That simply is not true. I'm going to take this to science to show you why that statement in religions and comparing religions is simply not a good way of looking at things. In science, there's still a movement, small movement, I hope, of people who say the world's flat. Some of you are chuckling. Now, for I think the majority of us, we would think the world is round, right? But there's a small amount of people that declare everything you're seeing is a hoax and the world is flat. So, what if I stood up here this morning and said, listen, there's merit to you round worlders and there's merit to you flat worlders. We all just got to get along. We all bring good things to the table and, and all bring you know, our perspectives and we're better people because there's flat worlders and round worlders. What would you think of that? Anybody believe the world's flat in here, by the way? Okay. We had that same kind of invalid argument made when it comes to comparing religions. Let me tell you why that's not true. If you have two religions that are at odds with each other in the most basic of belief systems, one of three things is the case. They're both wrong, right? One could be right, and one could be wrong. Thirdly, they both can't be right. Which is another way of saying one's right or one's wrong, or they're both wrong. (laughs) You get what I just said here? But they both can't be right. Simply can't be. Now, does that mean that they don't have pieces of them that are, you know, good? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all right if... You know, it says, get along and love each other, and okay, yeah. But when you get down to the basic fundamentals, that's where we have to begin to say, Jesus is unique, and there's no one like him. For instance, I'm going to get real, I'm just going to say it. Hinduism and Buddhism strongly believe in reincarnation as an approach to getting to this Elevated heavenly state, and you go through multiple deaths and rebirths, and deaths and rebirths, and deaths and rebirths, right, until you reach Nirvana, whatever, until you get to the state of heavenly bliss. It's a system of works. The Bible clearly says it is appointed for man to die one time, and then the judgment. Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by 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 me." It's very narrow. It's very much centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when Christians are surveyed, what's alarming to guys like me is that so many will say, yeah, reincarnation's okay. I believe in it. Huh? It's incompatible with Christianity. You can't believe in reincarnation because really that's not an option for us as a follower of Jesus Christ. Does that mean we should hate Hindus and Buddhists? Of course not. Amen? We can speak and not believe something and not be a hater. But it doesn't mean we have to believe what they believe to make everything okay, uh -uh, or accept it, or recognize it, and say, no, we don't have to validate it. Uh, Now I'm going to talk to you real bluntly. Islam and Christianity don't agree. When it comes to things like original sin and how Jesus Christ is viewed, we're very different. In Islam, Jesus Christ is just another prophet, a good teacher. Did he let Nicodemus get by with saying that to him? Did he? Uh uh-uh. uh. Gotta be born again, Nick, and it's born again through me. We as Christians believe that everything centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe that because of original sin, we desperately need a Savior. That's not the case with Islam. Amen? And if you start at different places, where do you end up? Different places. Does that mean we hate those who are Islam? No. Absolutely not. Does it mean, though, that we say, yeah, we're the same, we're going to get to... No. Absolutely not. Both cannot be right. Amen? I want you to have this tension because if we're going to really understand the incarnation and implications and how much God loves us, we have, to, we have to understand Jesus is unique. And as a Christ follower, I understand the only way I get to God is through Jesus Christ. Amen? There is no other way. There's no other back door. So these are three ways that we can respond to God who loves us so much. But as much as it means that Jesus came and showed up and was present in his creation, what he came to provide is like love on top of love on top of love. It's just amazing. He came, we're told, in grace and truth. Vicki and I over the years have tried to provide for our children as much as we can. And and, uh, yesterday we bought some stocking stuffer stuff for our grandkids. And we just love these guys, right? And we provide for them. We care for them. Um, and this message this morning would not be complete if I didn't touch on this aspect of provision that Christ has made to us because he became one of us. He didn't just show up. He showed up making some things available to us. So Jesus came full of grace and truth. So grace and truth came through Jesus. Let me talk about the grace that he brings. It comes from the Greek word charis, charis. I have a little grandchild named Carus. Every time I say her name, I'm reminded of grace and what it means. Grace that he brought is the favorable disposition of God towards sinners on account of Jesus. Because Jesus came, and he would die on the cross for us, and take upon himself that which we could not take upon ourselves, uh, you know, judgment for our sinfulness. He, he came, and he took that upon himself, and because of that, God can now look on us with favor. It, it, it's, it's God's unearned, unmerited favor on us. These are classic definitions of grace. Amen? But this last piece, this last part of definition of grace is where I always go, woo, baby. Thank you, Jesus. It's God's empowerment to come to him by faith and then to live in him by faith. It's God's empowerment to come to him by faith and then live in him by faith. So Jesus came and showed God's love by being present, but more than that, he stacked love on top of love. He brought to you and I the empowerment to become children of God, amen? So it's love stacked on top of love. Now he also came bearing truth. And truth here is a powerful word. It means this, Jesus perfectly conveyed God the Father to people. He is the exact representation of God. He is more than an emblem. He didn't come with some little tooth sayings, some little, you know, here, this is how your life can be better. I'm going to share some truth. He is truth embodied. He embodies truth. He is God incarnate. Jesus is truth. He's unique that way. He's one of a kind that way. When you see Jesus, you see God in person, God up close. So as amazing as God's love was that he became present in his creation, that's pretty amazing, right? That's how you show love. He came with provisions of grace, the empowerment for you and I to become children of God, and truth. When we see Jesus, we see God. So what do we do with this message today? I hope you do a couple of things. Because the presence of Jesus changes everything. And I want to leave you with a couple of challenge questions. How has the grace of God changed you? And maybe a better way of saying that would have been, how has your now understanding of grace changed you? You see, we will always fight in this country self-sufficiency. We will always fight that. And when you come before God, you can't come in your self-sufficiency. That'll be way short. You have to come in your utter need and your desperation and your admission of, I need you, Jesus. I am dependent upon you to do that in me which I cannot do myself. That's understanding grace. It changes then how you do life and how you do your Christianity because Christianity, the more you mature in Jesus Christ, the more dependent upon him you become. Secondly, how has the truth of Jesus changed you? I think the church needs to recapture a little bit of this understanding that it's all about Jesus. That apart from Jesus, everything falls apart. Jesus is one of kind. He's unique. He is truth. He is what God looks like. So how would that change how you do your life? If you really understand, you know what? I'm really anchored on Jesus here. He's one of a kind. Would you pray with me? Well, God, I want to thank you for this opportunity this second Advent Sunday to spend a few moments focused on love. Man, Jesus, thank you that you showed us love. Thank you that you're still showing us love because you showed us love initially by coming as the incarnate God, as God up close to your creation. You've made God known in a very personal way. But even when you departed this planet and you went back to be with the Father, you didn't leave us as orphans, but you sent the person, the Holy Spirit, to live in us. So we get to still experience God up close, God right in our hearts. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Presence equals love in your economy, Lord you left us with the person of the Holy spirit just to dwell in our hearts to pitch us tent in our hearts praise be to your name jesus we love you and we give you glory jesus we thank you that you didn't just show up you showed up with grace and truth with this power this empowerment for us to step into the status of child of god by faith in you man that just changes everything and not only that, you came as basically the center of all truth. All truth revolves around you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are truth in person. You are the embodiment of truth. You are the centrality to truth. And I pray, Lord, today that we as Christ followers would once again center our lives on you as being truth, Jesus. Not a few truthful sayings, but you as being the embodiment, the central figure of all truth. God, we love you and praise you. And now as we close in this song today, would you just anoint our praise team as they lead us? Would you anoint the assembly gathered here? May we sing unto you with one voice, loud and clear, worshiping you, God. May this be a moment of connection and of love, of being present, of giving you our attention, Lord. I just pray this in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said.